Yom Kippur had finally passed. And my kids, they knew what that meant. There was more time with Abba. And they wanted to go to Six Flags. So we went from roller coaster to roller coaster until we finally got to V2, a ride that required a passenger to be at least 54 inches tall, and that ruled out my two youngest kids. So we walked to wait for my oldest to get off the ride by the exit, and with each child holding my hand, and we reached the exit, where the last train had finally finished the ride. And as the people they poured off the ride, there was something that caught my eye I had never seen before. And I froze. The man walking toward me was wearing a Raiders jersey. He was about my height, about my build. And he was wearing shorts. And my eyes, they became transfixed on his calf. He had a softball-sized tattoo on his calf of a swastika. And I froze. I pulled my two kids in a little bit closer. And the thoughts, they began to race through my head of what to do. What I get in his face, like I'd always thought I would do when I was a kid, if I ever met a Nazi. But I didn't want to get hurt. I had my kids next to me. Do I look away? and act like I don't see the swastika, maybe I can just blend into the crowd as another white guy. I mean, he's not going to know I'm a rabbi. I have a baseball hat on. But, but shouldn't I say something? And I froze. And I felt myself get smaller and smaller as I could not believe that I was seeing a Nazi who lived in the Bay Area with me. Nazis are not supposed to be in the Bay Area. Nazis are not supposed to be in Pittsburgh or in Charlottesville. Nazis are in the past. They're in Germany. And now, by no means am I saying that Pittsburgh and Charlottesville make me think that we're living in Nazi Germany, because that would be overreacting. I mean, Pittsburgh, it's just another mass shooting in America. And it's painful to say, just another mass shooting, because it's a norm. What happened in Pittsburgh, the Pulse nightclub in Florida, the church in Charleston, South Carolina, it's different than what happened in Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. These shootings are specific, targeted minority groups. And the ADL has documented that there's a tandem danger that exists. When there's a rise in rhetoric against immigrants and other minorities, there's a rise in anti-Semitism. The shooting in Pittsburgh, it's not a separate event from the nearly 60% rise in anti-Semitism in a single year. It's just an extension of it. Pittsburgh may have woken us all up but our reaction should not just be about Pittsburgh, but should be about the rise in the acceptance of anti-Semitism in America and what our reaction to it should be. What struck me this week was the number of calls that I got from parents who told me that their middle schooler or their high schooler 
cried to them and asked, do we need to move to Israel? Is it time? Now this is coming from a generation of kids that Zionism is not at the front of their identity or their thoughts, but something has changed. Why are all of us reacting differently to this anti-Semitism? Because we are acting differently. Look around you. There's over a thousand people here tonight. Just four years ago, on April 1st, 2014, a former member of the KKK arrived at the Jewish center of Kansas City and murdered three people. And after his capture, the suspect was heard saying, Heil Hitler. Eleven years ago, on the eve of Passover in 2007, a swastika was spray-painted on the wall outside of this synagogue. It was on the news, and I can tell you, there was very little reaction. So why does this feel so different? What's changed? Dr. Mark Dollinger, the Richard and Rhoda Goldman Chair in Jewish Studies and Social Responsibility, teaches about one of the modern theories in understanding anti-Semitism. Dollinger explains that anti-Semitism must be associated with power and specifically in relation to state power. Now, I can see some of you squirming and trying to punch a holes in this definition, but we must understand that there's a difference between prejudice and discrimination. Prejudice is feeling terrible about a person or a group, while discrimination is the ability to act on it. Prejudice is the thought, discrimination is the action. And there's a major difference between a homeless person on the street saying something anti-Semitic, which happened to a member of our community just a few years ago, versus the President of the United States saying the same thing. According to the New School sociological thought of the 1960s, the only person who can be anti-Semitic was a person who could act on their belief. According to this theory, marginalized groups are incapable of anti-Semitism. We cannot change individual thoughts. We can be upset by people that hate the Jew, but it's wholly different when that same person is in a position of power. It's wholly different when the government does not protect you. It is one thing for Germans to hate Jews. It's something completely different when the German government and police rounded us up and killed us. There was nowhere else to go. We felt totally powerless. We were totally powerless. Today is different because in 2014, when the anti-Semite killed four people in Kansas, it was just a crazy man. In 2018, the crazy man aligns with a group, the alt-right, that has been elevated by the man who holds the highest office in the land. And I ask myself, are we overreacting? Because time and again we're reminded that the president has Jewish children, a Jewish daughter, Jewish grandchildren. But time and again we see the president and his advisors use anti-Semitic references as dog whistles for the alt-right. In an interview on Tuesday, in the Times of Israel, Abe Foxman, the former director 
of the Anti-Defamation League expressed what he thought the president's level of responsibility for what happened in Pittsburgh was. And he said, Pittsburgh is not Trump. It's also Trump. He didn't create Charlottesville. He didn't write their script. He didn't give them the brown shirts, but he emboldened them. He gave them the chutzpah that it's okay. And when he had an opportunity to put it down, he didn't. The blood that flowed in Pittsburgh is on his hands, said Foxman. Be it saying, there are some very fine people on both sides. Posting an alt-right graphic of Hillary Clinton with a six-pointed Star of David and a pile of cash. Or a blatantly anti-Semitic ad with flashing images of prominent Jews saying that the establishment control the levers of power in Washington and for the global special interests. These clear instances of anti-Semitic actions are being enacted by the state. And that strikes a fear in our hearts in a way that few in our generation can ever remember. We cannot hide. We are not white. We are not seen as white. We are Jews, and we are seen as Jews. But this is not new for us. And by us, I mean for the Jewish people throughout history. 20 years before the Holocaust, Rabbi Meir Simcha of Dvinsk, a leader in Eastern Europe, wrote, from the moment that Israel lived among the nations, this has been the pattern of divine providence. They'll have a period of respite for a number of years, a century or two, and then storm winds will come and wave upon wave will lash out, destroying, wrecking, and overwhelming mercilessly until the lone scattered remnants flee to a distant place where they regroup, where they become a nation once more. They'll cultivate Torah centers and achieve great things using their minds and intellectual resources. But then they forget that they are strangers in a foreign land. They begin to think that it is their place of origin. And then an even harsher storm wind will be visited upon them, reminding them with a deafening roar, you are a Jew. In each of these moments that Rabbi Meir Simcha references, there is one common theme. The Jews thought that they could hide, or they thought that they could assimilate, or that they could be good Germans, or that they could be good Frenchmen, or maybe they could just pass as white people. When you hide, you lie down, and when you lie down, you get stepped on. But I'll tell you, there are two examples that come to my mind that not only enables a person to survive the winds, but to blow back so hard on the winds that they become neutralized. The first one is the Book of Esther. It's not the first time in our history when Jews who were deeply integrated into society, who had power and connections, they looked up and realized that they were living in precarious times. 
In the fourth chapter of the book of Esther, we learned that the government had acquiesced to the anti-Semites' demands and legitimized them by ordering the extermination of all Jews. Esther was shocked that her government would create such a discriminatory edict against a group that was so integrated into society. Even the king married a Jew. But that Jew, Esther, is not a practicing Jew. Esther is actually someone we could call a hider. She knows she's Jewish, but she does not want anyone else to know. Her husband doesn't even know. But Esther realized that she was lucky enough to be alive in a moment and in a place of power where she could blow back against those winds and use everything she had within her to change the course of the oncoming storm. She realized that what it meant to be Jewish was not that God from above was going to intervene and save her or her people. That hiding and lying down was not going to save her or anyone else. But that the only way would be to rise up and to embrace who she was in a way that she had never fully done in her entire life. And it was only when she stood and she claimed her heritage and tradition, as foreign as it may have felt to her, was when the king truly saw her. That was the only time when the people of Israel did not try to hide as another Persian, but as Persian Jews that fully embraced who they were. This is the example for the way Jews are supposed to survive when they're not in charge of the nation state that they're in. We have been wiped out by the winds of assimilation when we lie down. And when we as a people do not fully embrace outwardly who we are. Assimilation has never saved us. It has only destroyed us. So what's the second story? Look up. Look above your heads. You're sitting in the second story. You are the second story. You are sitting within a synagogue designed by our San Francisco ancestors, unlike almost any other synagogue on the entire planet. It does not hide. It screams to San Francisco that we are here. We built this city, and we are a light, and we are Jewish. Throughout Europe, you will find synagogues which are beautiful inside and completely hidden on the outside. But they're museums. Museums. Because all the Jews are gone. The San Franciscans, they knew something different. They knew the way to live was authentically and proud of who they were. And as a result, I cannot Think of another city where we have lived and helped build it from the sand up in such peace, harmony, and total integration. Hiding and being quiet does not work. When blacks were being killed by police, yelling that black lives matter did not result in more blacks being killed. It created a national conversation and installed body cams on the police. When women stood up a year ago and yelled, me too, Men's heads rolls. Maybe not enough, but it changed the conversation in America. Being silent and small 
will only get you blown over by the winds of hate. But being loud and authentic roots you firm in the earth like an ancient tree that can be blown by the fierce of winds, but it will be unmoved. My eldest daughter, she stepped off the roller coaster and she yelled, Abba, Abba, did you see me? I wasn't even scared. And I snapped out of my trance. With the image of that swastika. With the images, the black and white images of Nazis saluting Hitler. All racing through my mind. And then I look in her eyes. I look down at my other two kids still holding my hands. And as the other people start shoving past me, I notice my shoulders begin to relax because I see something. Suddenly I see black people. I see brown people. I see yellow people. I see every possible shade of the beautiful American tapestry. And I realize he doesn't just hate me. <laughs> he hates all of us. Us! And I cannot, and I will not, try to hide as just another white guy. Because I'm not just another white guy. And it has never, ever, ever, ever worked when we try to hide. I'm integrated and interrelated with every fabric of this beautiful and deeply complicated country. We respond to these winds by being here, by coming to Shabbat less than a week after a person walks into a synagogue to murder us. And then we sing together. We respond to these winds by telling our coworkers that we're Jewish. We blow back on these winds by posting on social media that we go to the synagogue, that we light candles at home with our non-Jewish friends, that we are deeply conflicted by God but we're still deeply Jewish. We will survive and we will thrive, not by hiding, but by standing arm in arm with all of our neighbors. And the question that you must ask yourselves tonight is, are you going to be a proud and a loud Jew? Because that's the only thing that's ever worked.